0: Well, good morning, everybody. It's good to see you all this morning. Let's give attention now to our scriptures found in James chapter number three. We'll look at verses one through 12 together this morning. The word of God to you today. Dear brothers and sisters, not many of you should become teachers in the church. For we who teach will be judged more strictly. Indeed, we all make many mistakes. For if we could control our tongues, we would be perfect and could also control ourselves in every other way. We can make a large horse go wherever we want by means of a small bit in its mouth. And a small rudder makes a huge ship turn wherever the pilot chooses to go, even though the winds are strong. In the same way, the tongue is a small thing that makes grand speeches. But a tiny spark can set a great forest on fire. And among all the parts of the body, the tongue is a flame of fire. It is a whole world of wickedness, corrupting your entire body. It can set your whole life on fire, for it is set on fire by hell itself. People can tame all kinds of animals, birds, reptiles, and fish, but no one can tame the tongue. It is restless and evil, full of deadly poison. Sometimes it praises our Lord and Father, and sometimes it curses those who have been made in the image of God. And so blessing and cursing come pouring out of the same mouth. Surely, my brothers and sisters, this is not right. Does a spring of water bubble out with both fresh water and bitter water? Does a fig tree produce olives, or a grapevine produce figs? No, and you can't draw fresh water from a salty spring. Thus ends the reading of God's
1: word. You may be seated. Uh, Sticks and stones, sticks and stones may break my bones, but yeah, you learned that one too. A proverb that we learned growing up, many of us in our first classroom, sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. A proverb that is completely untrue and unhelpful. And it's untrue from a biblical perspective, for those of us who are followers of Jesus, because we learn three verses into the scriptures, Genesis 1, chapter 3, that all of the world was created through words. If you go back and read the Genesis account of creation in chapters 1 and 2, you'll see the refrain over and over and over again, God said, God said, and God said. Because here's the deal, words build worlds. The word built the world that we live in today. He created everything by his spoken word. And the word, Jesus, became flesh. And John tells us in John chapter 1, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. The message rendering says, the word became flesh and moved into the neighborhood. Words entered into our world, the word Jesus entered into our world to change us and to build his kingdom here on earth as it is in heaven. So when we say things like, oh, sticks and stones may break my bones, but, but words will never hurt me, it's an untrue statement. And many of us early on in our life, we learned that and we lived by that. And yet our experience tells us this is untrue. Because many of you, even right now this morning, can think back to a coach or a teacher or maybe worse, a parent or a grandparent that spoke words into your life and they still echo in your heart and your mind. A word of cursing or death or sarcasm or inadequacy or, or something that was said to you that they may even be gone now. But those words still echo around in the chamber of your heart and your soul because the deal is guys, when it comes to the power of words that we're talking about today in James, that words echo in eternity. This is part of what James says. James says that words, words of life, echo in heaven in eternity that the words of blessing that were spoken over you by God himself first and foremost, and then by other godly people that spoke words of life and blessing over you, that those words echo in eternity. But words of death, Hmm. words of destruction echo in eternity in hell. Hmm. And for many of us, again, we learn that little phrase that words really don't matter, you know, that, that, that everything's okay. And we learned early on that that's actually not true. And it's so unhelpful to us. This, this past week, for example, in the seats that you're in right now, there were 200 pastors and leaders from across the city, 50 different churches that were gathered here at New City. And we were praying many different things together. And, and, and I had a moment where I was just listening to all the words that were being prayed and spoken to God. On your behalf, on our city's behalf, on our world's behalf. Words matter. They're very important. So when we say sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me, it's untrue. But it's also, it's, it's, it's unkind. It's unhelpful.
0: Yeah. It really is, and it makes me think of, of uh, a basketball coach I had years ago, and he was rough on us, guy. I mean, he was, he was rough, and whenever he would pull us out of the game, he would say, don't worry about it, it's not your fault, it's my fault. I knew, you, I knew you were no good before I put you in the game. I knew you were no good. I knew you would jack it up before I put you in a game. <laughs> Nothing could be further from the truth, but those words are unhelpful. They're untrue, and they're unhelpful. The reality is, is when we believe that words don't matter, then we're less careful with how we use words with ourselves and with other people. And the reality is that some of us are just so unkind with ourselves with the words that we use. Mm -hmm. And others of us are, are careless and unkind with the words we use towards other people. It's unhelpful to believe that words don't matter and that they don't reveal something much, much deeper. And this is part of what James wants to help us out with. As we mentioned before, James is known as the Proverbs of the New Testament. Mm. James is wisdom for living out a real faith in a real Jesus in a world full of real problems. So James Mm. is speaking to the prevailing question of his audience and undoubtedly the prevailing question that many of us have had, and that's how do I get through what I'm going through? And the reality is some of us may be going through something right now, Mm -hmm. right? Some of us have just come out of something, and while others of us, we're getting ready to go into something. But the good news is no matter where we find ourselves is that God has something to say, about where we are. And so James begins this section of scripture with a familiar phrase, familiar turn signal, if you will, when he says, my dear brothers and sisters, this phrase literally means my fellow followers
1: of Jesus. And it, and it reminds us Rodney of the story that James was the, the younger brother of Jesus himself. Again, he, that, that was his family of origin. If you can uh, you know, imagine growing up with Jesus, at the dinner table every night, and we learned that uh, Jesus had at least four brothers and two sisters, maybe more, and that they were all cynics uh, of Jesus. They, they Speaking of words, they spoke words to Jesus. Hey, you're, Jesus, come on back home. Forgive him, guys. He's, he's lost his mind. And it could have even been worse than that. There's another passage in John that sort of alludes to the fact that they were trying to get him arrested. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, so speaking of cynics and, and being critical and using their words, James himself Uh, When he uses that phrase, my dear brothers and sisters, he's reminding them because it means literally my fellow followers of Jesus. He's reminding them that he's on the journey with them. And he begins by talking about how important and powerful our words are with this passage. If you have your scripture, maybe open it up to James 3 or if you have it on your phone, flip over there if you're taking some notes. James says, dear brothers and sisters, our little turn signal phrase here that happens all throughout the letter. And he says, not many of you should become teachers in the church. For we, we, the pronoun there, including himself, who who teach, will be judged more strictly. So the first place that he looks when he talks about the power of words is himself. And he's looking at teachers specifically in the church. Now, why would James start a section on the power of words by talking about teachers? Well, just in context, remember, James was the pastor to the church in Jerusalem. And you know, by the way, we talk about faithfulness and faithfulness sometimes means going. Abraham left Ur and followed God. Paul left Jerusalem and went to Rome and was was executed there. James stayed in Jerusalem and, and endured. Sometimes faithfulness is staying. Sometimes faithfulness is going. And when James is writing this letter, he's writing to a congregation, a group of people. That's what the word congregation means is a gathering of people who actually aren't gathered in one place like we are today or watching online. They're scattered all around. And he's writing this letter as a sermon to them, to to preach them, to talk to them. And he begins by talking about the power of words with teachers, including himself. He includes himself here. Now, what was happening in context? Because the people in Jerusalem, the church, had been scattered all around, they had lost their jobs, they had lost their homes, they had lost their status, so many of them were already impoverished and weren't very high up on the totem pole culturally, but maybe in religiosity and Judaism, they were. And when they decided, just imagine this, when they converted and decided to follow Jesus, they lost all of that status in the community. Yeah. They lost their, their places of business, their homes, their, their place in the temple. They, they lost their place in their family and their culture. And here's the sneaky little thing that a way to regain that status or that value or that affirmation or that honor was to become a teacher in the church. So it, this, this shows the, you know, just the incessant nature of sin. That we follow Jesus, we give up everything, we leave our homes, we're persecuted, whatever, and then in a sneaky little way, We use something that has the overtness of of, of a place of honor or a good thing, of being a teacher or a preacher in the church. And we're actually using it for our own ends or our own good. And I'm, I'm, I'm saying this, we're saying this as teachers, as preachers, in all humility this morning to say, listen, you know, James says, not many of you should aspire to be a teacher in the church. Why? because a teacher, a preacher, a leader in the church is not a personal aspiration, it's a godly calling in your life. And it will reveal every proclivity, every type of sin, every type of selfishness in you. And I tell our team all the time that ministry in the church will reveal every weakness in you. And it's not that you need to be strong in yourself, it's that God's reminding you that it's not about you. It's not about us. And here's what happens. And I've seen this happen and I can see it happen in my own heart. I have to check myself all the time. A prayer that I pray every single time before I get up here is, "Lord, Jesus, this is not an audience to impress. This is your people to be loved. This is not an audience to impress. It's a people to be loved. And would you bless this message because without your blessing it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter." But what happened in the church in the first century and what happens today and we've seen it is good godly people many times get pulled into the trap and their own story kicks in and the story of the enemy kicks in. And even with a position of being a pastor or teacher or being up front and using their words in that way, they're still consuming. They're trying to get something and then it turns into entitlement. I deserve this because I'm in this position. And James says, not many of you should aspire to this because why? Look at it with me, verse 1. Because God's going to judge more strictly those who teach. Now, why, why is that? Is that fair? Well, yeah, it's fair when you understand that words build worlds. Mm-hmm. Because the words, even the words of a teacher in a congregation or a community are building a world. Mm-hmm. They're either bringing the kingdom of God to earth or they're participating in the kingdom of hell. And so James says, "This is what's at stake—life and death." And so when you use your words in this way, you're going to be judged more strictly, because God has a standard for what He desires from His yeah. teachers and His leaders and His preachers, and words matter. I love what the, the German reformer uh, Count Zinzendorf what he said uh, to his group of missionaries. You know, he was in the Moravian Church and uh, helped to bring a lot of reform to the church in the 18th century, and he said this: He said, "Preach the gospel." Die and be forgotten. You know, we talk a lot about legacy. I want to leave a legacy or, or it, it, this is my personal mission or whatever. And both of them have their roots in like what I'm trying to get out of this. And Zinzendorf just says, it's not about you. You preach the gospel. You're faithful to God's word. You die because you should. The curtain will come down on all of our stories one day, but it will never come down on the story of God. You preach the gospel, you die. Somebody else becomes the pastor and you're forgotten because it was never about you anyway. And so this is like a punch to the face, but he's saying to the church, to his church, and he's saying to each of us, for those of you who desire to be a a teacher, you should check yourself and make sure that your motive, and by the way, this isn't a one-time thing, it's every single day, making sure that your motive is not consuming the people of God, but rather you're pouring into that it's not you don't see people as an audience that you needed to uh, uh, impress or get something from but God's people to be loved and and, and to be led All right, I'm done. <laughs> no, that, I don't know where so we are in the notes so but good. there we are. There we are.
0: No, that's so good because because words in fact do matter. Right. Words matter. Now, James, there are a ton of reasons why words matter. But but James shares a few of a few uh, reasons why they matter here for us in the text. And we're going to share a few of them. But the first thing he shares is that words matter because words are powerful. Mm -hmm. Words are powerful. And in verses three and four, he uses two examples to show us just how powerful words are. He uses uh, the example of a horse in verse number three and then that of a ship. In verse number four, now I'll be the first to say I'm not, um, I'm not a horse guy, okay? Not, not, not even a little bit, not even a little bit. Now I've had two experiences with horses and they were both forgettable. Um, but no, no disrespect, no disrespect to the, to the horse lovers in the room, but the point that James is making here is it's not about the object that's being controlled, but rather the object that's controlling the thing. Yeah. In other words, a small bit is controlling a large animal. Don't miss that. Small bit is controlling a large animal. And the same thing he says is true with ships, which are, for the most part, big, being controlled by a small rudder. Some of you know my story. You know that I've served in the U.S. Navy. Now, I'm a little bit more familiar with ships than I am horses. In fact, um, the the ship that I served on was the USS Steedum. It was um, a guided missile destroyer. It was just over 500 feet long just over 500 feet long, it had a crew of almost 400. It weighed almost 7,000 tons, Mm. almost 7,000 tons and yet it was controlled by a tiny rudder. And so James's point with this is that the tongue is just as powerful. The tongue is just as powerful. Despite its small size, it has tremendous impact both for good and for bad. And so James focuses on the latter in verse number five when he talks about how destructive the tongue is. He says that a tiny spark, a tiny spark, can can set a great forest on fire. Now, some of you know that fire is something else that I have a, a bit of experience with. In fact, the very last fire that I was on as a fireman in Fairfax County was started by a tiny light bulb that set a whole house on fire because it shorted out. In fact, I think we have a a picture of it here. Now, I don't know if you can tell, but that's not a small house.
1: Hmm.
0: It's not a small house, but it was set on fire by a tiny bulb that shorted out, caught the curtain and set the entire house on fire. But here's the thing, that's a house, one house, one house. James says, A great forest, a great forest can be set on fire. Again, something so big and so destructive was caused by something so small. And this is the imagery that James uses to illustrate both the scale and the type of impact that our words can have. But he doesn't stop there. He says, Words are powerful, words are destructive. But then, as if that wasn't enough, in verses 6 through 8, he says that words are uncontrollable. They're uncontrollable. They're uncontrollable. And listen to the phrase, the wording he uses. He says the tongue is a whole world of wickedness. A whole world of wickedness. Mm -hmm. He says it can set your whole life on fire. Now, get this. Though every part, every other part of the body is unlike the tongue, no part of the body is exempt from the impact that the tongue can have. Mm-hmm. Nothing is beyond its impact. Careers have toppled. Marriages have failed. Friendships have dissolved. All because of carelessly uttered, uncontrolled words. In James, in James uh, chapter 3, verse 7, he says, We can tame all kinds of animals. We can tame all kinds of animals, but no one can tame the tongue. It's simply beyond our human capacity. He says it is restless and evil, and it is full of deadly poison.
1: Hmm. Yeah, and it's interesting, you know, that he says poison there at the end because a lot of times the smallest animals um, are the most poisonous, a spider or a scorpion or a snake. And again, to Rodney's point and what James is writing, The tongue, your words, something relatively to the rest of you seems so small. But he says, if you can begin to trust God and control your words, you can begin to control every other area and part of your life. And the final portion here of the teaching um, in verses 9 through 12, if you're looking at it with us in James chapter 3. You know that the words are powerful and they're destructive that in many ways they're uncontrollable which begs the question we'll get to well if they're uncontrollable then how do i control my words and we'll get to that but the final thing of why words matter so much if you look at verses 9 through 12 James begins to talk about how words are actually revealing that words are a spiritual thermometer if you will of your soul now for some of us in the room right now, when we would take our temperature growing up or have our temperature taken, it would go under our tongue. Um, I know that doesn't happen anymore, but kids, there used to be a time where you had to put something under your tongue to take your temperature. I would take the thermometer oftentimes, I think my mom was there this morning, and put it on a lamp beside, you know, where I was seated. One time it was like 106. And, you know, my mom's like, do we need to go to the hospital? No, I'll go to school, it's fine. Um, but your tongue becomes like this spiritual thermometer, right? It reveals something much deeper. Now think about it this way. Your mind and your heart are a thermostat. So Paul says in Colossians 3 verse 1 to set your mind on the things that are above. Um, to fix our hearts on Jesus. Proverbs 4.23, above all things guard your heart because it's the wellspring of life. So your heart and your mind begin to fix on the things of God, and they're evidenced by your words. And Rodney mentioned this. Sometimes your words are spoken. There's a lot of words that are unspoken but are still in your heart and your soul. And for many of you, the most unkind um, things that you're saying, that the object of the wrath of your words are yourself. You're your own worst critic. And there's a constant monologue going on inside of you of things that are not of God, that you're beating yourself up over and over and over again. For some of you, you don't have any kind of prayer life or conversation with God or your prayers to God, you know, are unkind words to yourself or even to God. And for some of you, it spills over in your words to other people. But make no mistake, look at verses nine through 12 with me. James says, your words are a spiritual thermometer. And so you can look at your words and take account for your words, the ones that are spoken, the ones that are posted, the ones that are unspoken uh, uh, other than to yourself. And you can begin to gauge where your heart and your soul are. Now, let's go just a a little step further here. James uh, talks about in chapter 1 that the uh, the, um, the Mm double-minded man, do you remember this? The double-minded person is unstable in what? In all of their ways. Now, all means all, and that's all, all means. The the double-minded person is unstable in all of their ways. It kind of echoes what he's saying here. If you could actually get control of your words, you would control all of yourself. And what James is trying to get at and build upon, because this letter builds, and so I just would encourage you, if you're here for the first time, you're watching for the first time, go back and listen to chapters one and two and read it for yourself because it's building. And he introduces this idea of the, uh, the double-minded person. In other words, the person that's living in two different stories. The story of the world or the story of the enemy and the story of God. And we talked about this before, that the story of the world is that you're nothing but a consumer, Here to take from other people. And the story of God is that you're a child, a most loved son or daughter of the king. The story of the world is you got to take everything that you can get in life to fulfill your needs. The story of God is you receive all that God has for you. And you can see how this becomes evidenced in your words. The words that you're speaking are words that are cutting people you know, that are bringing them down, that are taking something from people or words of life. I want you to pay attention to this, what he says in verses nine and 10, that blessings and curses come from the same mouth. That we can sit here in the worship service, right? And sing and praise uh, God and, and, and speak words of life to each other and get in the parking lot and chew somebody out for cutting us off. Out of the, out of the, out of the same mouth comes blessing and cursing. But here's the deal. If the mouth, if your words are a spiritual thermometer, it's deeper than that. And I want you to see that. Mm-hmm. That what James is saying here is not the power of positive thinking or just your words should be positive or negative. No, he doesn't use the word positive or negative. He uses the words life or death, heaven or hell. Now, why does he use that provocative language? Because our words are a reflection of the story that we're believing. The story that we're believing about God, is he a father that loves me and cares for me and sees me and comes towards me and works to get to me and loves me and sacrifice for me, the heart of the gospel that God did for me and for you, what we could not and would not do for ourselves? Or is it the story of, I gotta take everything in life. I gotta eat, drink and be merry and consume other people, especially with my words. The reality is that when you look around, I want you to think about it right now, when you look around your world, your circle, you know, the the word in the scripture for our relational world is oikos. It's, It's family, but it's broader than just flesh and blood. It's the people that you do life with. And if you, I want you to think about those people right now, those 15 to 20 people that are in your relational world, your oikos, your family, the people that God's put right in your relational orbit. And the reality is, is the words that you're speaking to yourself, to God, and to them are building that world. And for many of you, we began this morning by talking about sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me and how that's untrue and it's, it's unhelpful. I want you to think about the words that you're speaking to your children, to your grandchildren, to your, your small group, to the people that uh, you're in community with, the people that you're working with tomorrow morning. Because the bottom line for this passage is that your words, those words that you're speaking to God, to yourself, to other people, are building a world. And God has something to say about that. And you may be going, well, you know what, I'm not going to say another word. Like, I just, I just won't talk anymore. But the problem with that, right, that's a good starting point maybe. But the problem with that, right, is that you're still saying the words to yourself and in your yeah. heart. The problem is if your words are a spiritual thermometer, then what sets the thermostat and how do you do it? If, mm. if what Rodney taught us from the book of James, that the wor- words are uncontrollable, then, then what's the answer? And we'll pick up there next week in verse 13. So you got to come <laughs> back for that. All right. That's, That's so go. good.
0: Words build worlds. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, we are so grateful for the space of grace that is today. Uh, Thank you for arresting our attention and allowing us to be reminded of the power of our words, the impact that our words can have, God. And we just pause to ask for your forgiveness um, for uh, the carelessness that we've had with our words, God. Um, The words that we've had to ourselves, words that we've had to others, God. And so we just ask that, since we know now that we can't do this alone, that you would help us to invite your spirit in. That you would help guide and order our words, Father. That the words that we speak would indeed bring life, because you are life, Mm. and you have given us life. And so we pray that the life that you've given us would be reflected in the words that we pray, the words that we speak, the words that we share. Thank you for allowing us this moment, God, to be reminded of just how powerful words are and that our words do indeed build worlds. So we just give it to you now, God. We ask that you would be glorified in the words that we say. And we thank you for the impact of life-giving words. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Amen.